Let's go to Dr. Merchant. Yeah, this is a 59-year-old black female who was found to have a mass asymptomatic in the right upper lobe of the lung. The x-ray was done for some unknown reason by the primary physician. And the mass was biopsied, and it was positive for non-small cell carcinoma. She underwent right thoracotomy in July of 06, which revealed a 4.3-centimeter moderately differentiated grade 2 adenocarcinoma with focal visceral pleural invasion. Her PET scan before the surgery was negative for any metastasis or anything, and six lymph nodes were identified at the time of surgery. They were all negative. So she turned out to be stage 1B disease. And what was her condition post-op when you saw her? She was in excellent shape. Performance status was zero, very active. She is an active CNA who works in the nursing home. And she brought her daughter on her first visit. The daughter is a professor at the University of Texas, and she asked about the adjuvant therapy. So, Tony, let's start out with what you would do with this patient off-study with a 4.3 centimeters, and what would you do if it was 3.8 centimeters, you know, 5 millimeters less? Okay. I would do the same thing regardless of the size differentials you gave and say that I would treat this patient in the adjuvant setting even though the data we have from multiple studies does not support from the randomized prospective trials, not counting subset analysis, that you have a survival advantage in 1B patients. But I would still treat her because I believe, based on looking at all the data, including subset analysis, that she would benefit. She has visceral pleural invasion, which most believe make her prognosis a little worse, greater than four centimeters, probably a little worse, had six nodes removed. This is controversial, what an adequate mediastinal node dissection is but probably we're going to get the nine or ten nodes. So she had a little less than maybe adequate, quote-unquote. So I would treat her. I would treat her with adjuvant therapy. And What would you likely offer her, 59 years old, very good condition, post-op, doing great? I would use carboplatinum-based treatment. With what? Probably carbo and gem or carbotaxol or carbotaxotere. And if the tumor were three centimeters? I would probably do the same thing. I think a lot is made of the size... If it's less than two, I would not treat her. But with more than three, with visceral pleural invasion, I feel she should be treated. But I'm not on solid ground. I interviewed a whole lot of people since ASCO 2006, and that's the only person who gave me that particular answer. Tom? I agree with the philosophy of what Tony's saying. I would probably use a cisplatin-based regimen if she's 59 and in great shape. And I think the one thing that came out yesterday during our think tank was everyone academically talks about the importance of cisplatin-based regimens. But when you push them on what they actually use, even the people who talk about how important cisplatin is, I still use about half of my patients get carboplatin. So I think it's important to remember that it depends upon what the patient looks like. 59-year-old in great shape. I'd give them cisplatin docetaxel. You wouldn't be wrong to give them cisplatin gem. I think it's either cisplatin taxotere or gem in that setting. And how about if it's three centimeters? I still treat at three centimeters. I don't treat under three centimeters. But actually, you know, I remember several patients where I've really wrestled with it, but I, in general, don't treat under three centimeters. Tony? I would like to just bring up something. Again, I agree with Tom. To me, it's not a major controversy, but to others it is. It's interesting to me that one can take the data the way it was generated and then use cisplatinum and another drug yeah. when the only other drug that was paired with cisplatinum was venerolabine for the positive trial. So how can you justify changing one of the agents? And again, Tom, I'm not criticizing you. You're totally you. right. 
it shows that we're all creatures of our own beliefs, you know. And so when I'm heavily criticized for the carboplatinum part, I don't really understand it when someone as notable as Tom actually changed their regimen too. Yeah, so. I went from navel bean to docetaxel gem without any problems, okay? You're totally right, Tony. You're well, completely right. Okay. And this is a question for me because I am part of the Dr. Greco School of carboplatinum because I find it so tolerable that the toxicity to the patient is so minimal and life expectancy. I mean, it's just like holy water compared to cisplatinum. Also, in my community, one of the problems that Tom grew up in is hospitalization. So I was just wondering if you're doing your cisplatinum as outpatient and how long they stay with hydration. Are you admitting them? We don't because admit- we can't do cisplatinum in the office. It's we so we do it in the office. So we bring them in. They come in early in the morning. The other thing with cisplatin that's made cisplatin easier is EMEND. So the availability of EMEND has taken away a lot of the concern about cisplatin. I'm not issues. worrying about the nausea and vomit. I'm just wondering about the hydration. and Hydration, they come in. You know, for, again, I'm not going to give it to someone who's fragile, but someone who can take you know, two liters of hydration. We bring them in in the morning, hydrate them. You know, our infusion room is open until 9 o'clock at night. Okay. Usually they're out by 5 or 6 so, Dr. Merchant, okay. can you follow up with what happened with the patient? Yeah, she wanted to be treated and looked at the data. So, we did treat her with four cycles of cisplatin and texotier. Okay. She handled it well, and she's free of disease at this week. So. How did she tolerate You said she handled it well? We handled it very well, yeah. Outpatient, no problem. What's her state of mind nowadays? She's perfectly back to normal and working full-time. Do you find that these people, having gone through this experience, their perspectives on their own lives change? Do you feel that as you see them in the office? Oh, definitely. They have more respect for life, and they live day by day also, and also they look at things totally differently now. Paul, I see you shaking your head. Oh, you know, this is a life-altering experience, and in my observation of people with lung cancer, or any cancer for that matter, they tend not to be bothered by the trivia in life, which throws so much of us, fortunately, non-cancer people, a curveball. They let the trivia slide off their backs, and they only concern themselves with the really major issues in life. Do you think that affects you in the same way? I hope so. (laughs) because I don't want to be bothered by the trivia. I don't want to be hassled by the little nonsense of life. I want to be more cognizant of the major issues in life. Can I just add one more thing? Echoing what he said, some of the physicians in our practice also have an internal medicine practice. And there's a dramatic difference between the perception of an internal medicine patient who comes in for a cough and a cold, you know, when we cross-cover, As opposed to the oncology patients, I think they are a lot more focused on making sure that their time is well spent and also, you know, it's almost like still waters run deep, you know, when you deal with them as compared to some of the internal medicine patients that uh, get worried about rashes and, you know, coughs and colds and not getting an antibiotic when there's a cough and cold and so on and so forth. I don't just mean the medical issues. I mean the little social issues of life that can be so daunting to some people. And yet when you have this kind of experience, it tends to slide off. It's so hard to put yourself in the position of a person who's diagnosed with cancer. I've interviewed dozens of people for our education programs. They all say the same thing that you just said, Paul. And, you know, it seems almost like they're in another world. Neil, can I make a brief comment? I certainly agree with that. One of the things that has struck me as an oncologist over the years is how brave people are. It's something I never, I really wouldn't have believed that, not being in oncology. But it's amazing to me how many patients, you can tell them they have cancer, 
and they have to go through various therapies, and they're scared, there's no question, but they should be frightened by it. But they come back for their appointments, they come in sometimes even with some enthusiasm, but they're willing to put up with the kinds of things that we do to them, and they bravely go forward. To me, that's the major inspiration that I've gotten from being an oncologist, is that sense that people can be that brave to put up with these life-threatening illnesses and still go on with their lives. And I think it's changed me in a major way. I'm not necessarily any braver, but at least it tells me that maybe there's something that we all have that we can pull out of ourselves if necessary.